your short track racing connection. Broadcasting from the Fireside Beverage Studios, this is the Turn 4 Podcast. Look for us every Tuesday where all major podcasts are found. Like us on Facebook at Turn 4 Podcast. And now, DJ and Zach, take it away. I know that's pre-recorded, but no Zach this week again. So it's just me and my guest this week. I got Heather Zulo, also known as formerly Heather Tarbell. Thank you. I had to throw that out there. So you've been around racing literally your entire life. Almost, yeah. Just, Just about. Yeah, I was doing the math, and I believe this is my 39th year being here yeah i know better than ask how old you are so we're just gonna go with your yeah, 39 it's my 39th <laughs> year here. you are 39 years old because yes. you came the first year you were born <laughs> we'll go with 38 we you came with mom right so you're in the belly so that's what you're counting as your sure, 39th year sure, so we'll go with yeah, 38 yeah so now did your dad race my dad did not race um before me um my uncles had a dirt car okay um I don't believe my dad was involved with that. He was younger than them. Okay. Um, cousin Jim was Cousin involved. Uncle Jim. Cousin Uncle Jim. Cousin Uncle Brother Jim was involved. <laughs> um, so we just came to watch. He knew some guys that were doing it. Um, he hung out with the gentleman that um, helped sponsor Dwight. Okay. So we came to the races and hung out with them. Um, all fell in love. And a couple years later, cousin got an enduro car and... That's how there, it started. Really? The birth of Tarbell Racing. Man, we may have to get old cousin Uncle Jim on yeah, here. To talk. He's been doing it for a couple So years. he went from an enduro car to racing weekly. He did. He had, a, it was a big old boat of a V8 enduro car um, that he, God help him, painted up like Jeff Bodine's car. Oh, by Derek Carr. So he's a little special. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he was part of the, the huge enduro that was here in 1985. Okay. Um, that everybody shows the pictures of and still talks about. That was his debut race. Um, he liked it, decided that we wanted to do it. The family got involved. And I'll have to ask the counselor. I know my yeah. dad did one enduro or two enduros here, and that probably would have been around the era of when dad was doing them. So, yep. so his he started weekly racing in 86. 86. So literally did an enduro, got hooked, and yeah. that was all it took. Yes. And then he went street stock racing, I'm assuming, and whatnot. He, and he went street stock racing and just progressed as that class progressed yep. into all the other different names that they called Higher it. and higher. Um, I think it was in 90, 93 or 94. Um, at the end of that season, he sold the car. I think they took a year off. Then he got a pro stock. He ran a pro stock in 94, ran a pro stock at the beginning of 95. Yep. And then that was the end. Yeah. So you had a brief racing career. I did have a brief racing career. Did you make it a full year? Um, I I did it from from May to September. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you made it you made it basically a year. What did you drive? It was a mini stock. It was a Chevy Vega. Um, it was about two years into the mini stocks coming. So there was a ton of cars. And you just decided to do it one day? Like, how does that come about for you? You know, people talk and cars get bought. And Next thing you know, it's in your dooryard. Next thing you know, you're putting on a fire suit and you're going to be a race car driver. How'd that go? It sucked. It I was, sucked. <laughs> I was horrible. 
I, I, I sucked. So again, we talked about this a little bit the other night before, before when you knew you were coming on that you were probably going to be the first guest that said you were terrible. I was, I was awful. Did you just not like it or? I, I loved it. The most fun you'll ever have. Everybody, I tell Zach all the time, everybody should do it at least once. Yeah, I think he should run just, an Enduro once, but he's a little afraid. Just to say that you've done it, yeah. Um, absolute time of my life. Just but couldn't. I was horrible at it. No speed. No, no. Were you in the way? Um, there might have been a time <laughs> that I was in the way. That I, I was lap traffic. I'll own it. Yeah, I was lap traffic. And I'm again, no radios, no race receivers, no nothing. You were no. just, you were by yourself, just no, just out there having the time of your life until here comes the pack. And <laughs> <laughs> that's all. did you only race here or did you race elsewhere? I think I took the mini stock once to Manadnock. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah, you get lapped quicker down there. You do get lapped a lot quicker. Yeah, loved it. Because what? It, so what did we figure out? Third mile here, quarter mile down there, right? Yes. And again. Anybody who hasn't seen the difference of the two, Monadnock might as well be the steepest banking you've ever seen in your entire life compared to Claremont. And it's so much fun. <laughs> I love Monadnock. I do. I I really enjoyed the couple of times that I got to race down there. Because again, you've you've heard the podcast. I know Ben Poland's not a big Monadnock fan. Um, I don't believe your husband's a big Monadnock no. fan. Uh, Dilly wants to try in the worst way, but he's got to get out of his own way to be able to go. <laughs> he, he does. And I, I think it piques his curiosity just because I've said how much I liked it. Yeah. So now he wants to go try. It. I think Jimmy doesn't like it because of how rough it is. Right. Is that what the deal is? It's, it's Cause I think it's rough, the same. It's the rough surface in a little rough racing lately too yeah. down there. I shouldn't say lately. It's been probably a good six years. <laughs> it's been rough. And the fact that there's, there's no setup to it. It's just, who's the most. Yeah. He's out of control for the night is <laughs> your top guy. Again, the first night I got to run Monadnock with that little 1.5 liter Civic we had was the f they were struggling with car counts down there. So they opened it up to enduro type rules. So you only had to have a bar from B post to B post and like 12 guys oh. showed up with enduro yeah. cars. So my my wife wanted me out of that race in the worst way, but you know, racer mentality. I'm yes. Paid my 35 bucks. I'm getting yeah, <laughs> my money's exactly. worth. Exactly. I did race enduro cars at Manadnock. You did? Um, back in the day, they enduros were still really big. They were yeah. going to come back, but back then they were really big. They had women's only enduro. Really? Because they were that big? Because they were that big. And they'd get 10, 12 cars just to run in the women's race. Yeah. Um, so we were down there, and a guy had a car and came and asked, and I said, yeah, sure, why not? So if you survived, could you run the regular enduro? Yeah, the guys ran it first. The guys ran there and Daryl oh, first, and if your car survived, then the women could come run. I was hoping, like, if you survived the women's one, you can go run with the boys and try no. to beat up on them. No, the boys did it first. Oh. But, yeah. So, I, I, so that's probably why there was only, like, 12 cars, because that's probably all that survived. Yeah. Yeah. I did that, actually, I think, for two seasons. Jesus. That, that was fun. Little Ford Escort. So what you're saying is there's hope that we might get you in another one? No. No? What do you mean, no? no. Come on. No. Leon would love that. Oh. Leon doesn't need that. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan asks all the time if I'll take his car out and practice. So maybe, maybe some Wednesday night, just just for him. You gotta let me know though. Oh, I will. <laughs> I was gonna say I got I gotta know because I want to be up here for that night. Yeah. So you do with the enduro stuff. What's your first year of actually working at the racetrack? I came to work um, for Dennis in halfway through 2011. Really, that late? Yeah. For some reason, I thought you worked here longer than that. I guess. 
So you basically, so what years did you actually race? I ran the mini stock in 95, um, played the two years, um, 96 and 97, I think, with the enduro car. And in 97, um, I had a, a couple outings in a street stock in and then retired. And then retired? Yes. <laughs> was it your own street sock or was it somebody else's street sock? It was somebody else's. It was somebody sock. else's street sock. So did you have helmet wheel travel? Um, no. Actually, when it came to the street sock, uh, the night before the car show, I was underneath it on a creeper hanging the exhaust. <laughs> <laughs> I was not have helmet wheel travel. All right. Well, just checking. We, we know how some people are. <laughs> we, we like to pick on the boy a little bit because he likes to be the half helmet wheel travel, but I get it at 19, so... Wait, so uh, not to pick on you, I'm assuming lap traffic in the street stock too, or did you get a little bit better? I wasn't good. It <laughs> just wasn't, just wasn't good. Wasn't, we'll just leave it at wasn't, wasn't good. Wasn't good. <laughs> it, it was fun, but I wasn't good. So now again, you've been married to Jimmy for a while. So you, you've been around the racetrack again. You guys brought Dylan up at the racetrack. Yes. So now your son races. Yes. Is it harder watching your husband race or your son race? My son race. Your son race? Because yes. <laughs> that's your baby. That is my baby. <laughs> yes. And that boy got no fear. He does have no fear. Yeah, he's he's not afraid of it. Not in the least bit. And that was one of those things we weren't sure how that would go. Yeah. So. Again, we talked about it. It, it. The kid had zero interest in ever running a race car. Didn't like the garage. So I, I think sat on the trailer most of the time until dad went out. Watched dad's race and I think it was back at the yeah. trailer. Like, just had zero interest. Yeah. Played matchbox cars. He... Played matchbox cars in the grandstands for a lot of years. Yeah. Um, and we we finally figured out that he paid attention. Yeah, well, obviously. The kid's a critic. You know, he would sit and watch his dad race, and we'd get home. <laughs> and he'd, he'd look at Jimmy and say, really, when when this happened, what were you thinking? And so he he's a critic. He'll, yeah. he'll tell you when he, he doesn't think that you've done right. He apparently paid attention. So, obviously, like you just said, so it's harder to watch Dilly race than it was to watch Jimmy race. So, does Dylan in the four-cylinder scare you more, or does Jimmy going to, like, a Loudon scare you more? Where Loudon is just so much... Because, again, anybody that doesn't know Jimmy, Jimmy's got no fear either. No, that boy puts... Zero. zero. He puts a helmet on, and I don't think he gives two shits about what's going on in the world at that point in time. No. He has no fear whatsoever. Loudon was a rough day when we went down for practice day. Um, Jimmy and my brother both took their late models the same day. Um so there was a couple tears shed on pit road was uncle jerry there that day too was that the day uncle jerry uh, saw his daughters and god no. and everything else no, um i don't remember if jeremy did it before or after they did but it wasn't it was just the two of them that day yeah and again so for everybody listening who's your brother brian tarbell brian tarbell so my brother brian and jimmy so they got so this was back when it was like invite only. You had to go down to practice, correct? Yes. And then you yep. were invited based off practice speeds to come back and race in the big race in September. Yep. Were there tears shed because you were scared or just because it was just a big moment? It, it was a big moment. Because again, you've got the pictures of the hollers going into the racetrack. Going in? Yes. Coming out? Going in. Going in. Going in. Going in. Which is pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I, was that from practice day or was that from race day? That was from race day. That was from race day? Yep. Because again, for for a lack of a better term, that's that was ACT's Daytona 500. Yeah, and where where are they going to go on a bigger stage than that? They're not. I mean that 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 was that was as, it as big as you're going to get around here. And for so. was Jimmy part of the year that it was a struggle to get the race in? No. 
That's gonna, you know yeah. which one I'm talking about, yeah. though, right? Yeah. yeah, it wasn't that one. It, it wasn't that one. And again, I know, like, Jimmy and I have talked about it. Just the speed and racing style is completely different from any, <laughs> anywhere else. It was. And it, it was a day to, to watch them both go out there. I mean, they both work on their own stuff. Yep. They, you know, it was... It was a pride thing. Yeah. It was a scary thing too, but I mean, you know, every time they strap in. Even here. You know, yeah, anywhere. Because again, can happen. your your husband broke one foot and an ankle. Yeah, he, he broke his foot in a couple spots. Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah. here at Claremont. Like that stuff happens, like, yeah. and you, you understand it. The scary part, I think, I guess for Loudon, for most people probably don't understand is you back it in the fence here. You're probably replacing some body panels, maybe a couple bars. You back it into the fence down at Loudon. You're talking a car. Yeah. And you're just hoping to see that window net drop down because I don't think people truly understand the difference in speed from a Claremont, an Adnock, even Lee. Lee is very fast paced, but we, we when they had the mock races, we stood up on the top of the holler and watched them from there, so you could see everything. Track. Yeah. Very cool. Very impressive. My one bucket list thing that I want left is I want to spot a race at Loudon. Oh. <laughs> I was really hoping earlier this year when your husband kind of hinted at that street stock was going down there that they were going to allow radios and he's going to be like, Deej, you go up there because you can't work on a race car, so I need everybody <laughs> else down here. And I was going to be like, you got it, buddy. But uh, obviously he didn't make it out. But um, so again, what age did you finally allow Dylan to come into the pits with you guys? Um, I know there was some dispute on this on his episode because he thought it was a lot later than what it actually was. The year that I started working here, he was nine. We made him sit in the stands the first that year. year. Yep. Um, partway through the year, I think right after he turned 10, we finally had to cave into him and let him <laughs> in the pits. He, he was done sitting in the grandstands because at that point, Jimmy had a car, Jeremy had a car, my brother had a car, my cousin had a car in. Dylan was done being in the grandstands. Yeah, because you had so so Brian, Jeremy, Jimmy, and Tara. And Tara. Yep, all had cars. Yeah, so literally it's a family reunion in the pit area, and I'm assuming Memers and Dilly are sitting out in the grandstands. They were out in the grandstands. <laughs> he he was out sitting with my mom and dad, and he wasn't liking life. Yeah, um, and he wanted in the pits with everybody. So. I'm, I'm betting he did. So yeah, he's he's been on this side since he was ten. Because I'm assuming Memers had all the grandkids. Or was it just Dilly that came? It was just Dilly at that point. So yep. he just went and sat with my mom so, and dad and my aunt and uncle. So Chandler came in later on. Like to the racetrack, obviously. I know he's Chandler, <laughs> been there for a while. but Chandler came um, when they were little. Yeah. And then he got involved in his own stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and started coming back once the boys started racing again. So Okay, that's fair. Yeah. So... Again, so your husband races again. I think he raced on and off. I think we talked about on the podcast through the 2000s, right? He took some time off a little bit here and there. Yeah, we'd race, take a couple years off, race, take a couple years off. And then you start working in 2011. What's your first job here? Um, They were looking for an assistant scorer. Okay. So I tried it. It seemed easy enough, so I said, why not? <laughs> <laughs> seemed easy enough. <laughs> We're going to take our first commercial break, and then we're going to dive into that afterwards.
Apex Racing, located at 972 West Swansea Road in Swansea, New Hampshire, is now open and ready to assist you. Keep them in mind when the time comes for all your parts and accessory needs for your upcoming race season. Need help setting up and maintaining your car? Their in-house staff will be there to help you out with those needs as well. Last but not least, they will have the NHSTRA modified rides available for rent on a weekly basis. Apex Racing will see you in victory lane. So you start as a scorer. Yes. Okay. Who were you working with that first year to teach you how to score? Do you remember? I don't remember what her name was. <laughs> she was really nice. Um, she taught me how to do it. We worked together for the rest of 2011. She came back opening night 2012 um, and then had to get done. Just like that. So now you went from a year of being an assistant to Head it's scorer. on you. So let's tell everybody, I know what scoring back then was like. It was fun. Yeah. So what do you, what do you do as the assistant scorer at that time? You, you keep car, track of the cars the same as the scorer does. Scorer does. Yeah. So that way there's two sheets. Yes. And when I say sheets, it's because when you were started here. Yep. It's a legal size sheet of paper. So it's a, a big piece of paper. It's got 10 columns on it. Um, so lap one through 10 and then you, you flip your paper for the next 10 and you flip your paper for the next 10. So hundred lappers are great then. They are miserable. <laughs> <laughs> um, but each time the cars go past the line, you write them down in the order that they're in. By hand with By a hand, pen or pencil. With a pen. In your own eyeballs. In, in my eyeballs. Yes. Okay. So now we're going to hop into something else. Okay. So you're, you're. You do the assistant scorer for a year. Week two of your second year, you're now head scorer. What do we like about paint schemes, Miss Heather? Um, <laughs> we like cars that are all painted different, and everybody's going to have a different way that they do this. Um, I got very accustomed to car color Yep. and scored a lot off car color. Really? Yeah. Rather than looking at the number, you just get so used to seeing the car and staring at the car that the number might not register but you're like oh that's the paint scheme that's the registered 16, that's the 27 yeah the paint scheme registers the Thibodeau boys they would drive me crazy with those five silver <laughs> yeah cars. five silver yeah. bullets all look the same <laughs> so yeah and we've talked about it before you also like contrast so that way you can if you do have to read a number big bold numbers yep bright colors work great so I know, again, you also letter race cars at this point. I do. How long have you been doing that? Um, a while. Probably seven years at least. Seven years, eight years? Okay. So you obviously put them on a certain way. Is there an actual rule for the roof numbers to be facing the scores on the front stretch or the back stretch? I don't know if it is actually a rule. Um, it makes sense that when you go by on the front stretch, your number's facing the score. So I think... And I might be wrong, so somebody else can correct me when you're listening to this, but I think if you look at the cup cars, you read their numbers from the backstretch. They're backwards. They're backwards. Thank yes. you. Yes, they're backwards. And then you get, like, every short track racer in America has them the right way where yes. you read them from the front stretch. Yes. Yes. Those okay. cup guys just don't. They don't. Yeah, well, I'd say that's a NASCAR thing, but we are a NASCAR track here, so I <laughs> can't, can't st stomp on that too much. <laughs> So now you were a scorer all the way up until last year? 
Two years ago. I was a scorer up until probably three years ago. Has it been that long? I actually retired for a year. You retired for a full year? I never said a full year. I was going to say no. Yes. I retired and I came back in August. To help um, out. When Miss Elaine said she was going to retire. so she Miss Elaine, she's a sweetheart. She is the best. She's an absolute sweetheart. She taught me everything that I know. So were you up there for the changeover to transponders or no? No. So you, so did Tara take over at that point when it went to transponders? Yep. The last year I did it was still full paper. The first year that she started doing it on her own, it went to the transponders. Okay. And for those who don't know, obviously, obviously Sheena's up there because you and I know because we work up here. But so Tara runs the computer for the transponders Mm -hmm. and then Sheena still hand scores. So that way there's. Yep. There's a backup in case the computer crashes or. Like during the street stock race when the generators come off? Yes. Like that probably point in time. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So photo finishes when you're hand scoring. Was there extra help up there for the bigger races or did you just like, was there a couple of you you guys up there that kind of just made the decision of like, that's what we think it was? The the bigger races, like when um, Granite State comes in, they've got their own. Modifieds came in. They've got their own. They had their own transponder system, Um, so you would just hand score them as a backup, and they'd do it all on the computer. So what? So big races here, though. So like, let's say if they had like a late model race that was a bigger race or whatever, was there any a was there ever a call that you were nervous to make at the end of a race? If you could tell that it was going to come down really really close. Everybody would pay attention. Everybody up in the tower. Everybody up in the yep. tower would pay attention. Um, for a couple of years, when the the family cars were racing, yep, I would dismiss myself from it and make everybody else make the call at the end of the race. At the end of the race, yep. if it looked like it was going to be close and involve one of my cars, yep, um, I just dismiss myself from it. And it's easier. Tell everybody else. It's on you guys. Pay attention. <laughs> pay attention. I I need somebody to make the call. Which again, I think that's probably. It's probably one of the nicer parts about the transponders, I guess, because it's pretty much it's live. I mean, off your phone, you can pretty much tell what's going on. And I won't call it foolproof because I'm sure there's still some ways that you can. Nothing's foolproof. Nothing is foolproof, especially if you know how to run some of these programs. Um, But I guess I don't know. I don't know if I'd want that pressure of hand scoring and being like, well, this is which again. We talked about it with Tara. I still think it's the dumbest thing in the world that the scoring line is behind or ahead of the start-finish line, whatever way you want to look at it. I think that's dumb. I think somebody should rip that thing up and <laughs> replan it, but that's just my opinion. But so you just said, so Miss Elaine says she's retiring. Yes. This was, again, I think this was 2019 now that it would, I think it's coming back more to it memory. Was, um, Jim, and St- Jim and Phil still own the track. So it would have been. So probably would have been eighteen then. Might even been seventeen. Jesus. What are we in? Twenty-one. Yeah, so it might have been seventeen. Might have been eighteen. Yeah. So wherever. So you come in halfway through the year with Miss Elaine, and you're now in the pit tower. Yes. And you're learning how to handicap the field, handicap cars, and all that other stuff. So for anybody that doesn't know, how do we handicap cars here? Oh. I'm going to bore some people, but some people might find it interesting because I do. There's been plenty of talk, people asking questions. So the handicap system, when the season starts for this 
first two weeks, the drivers draw a chip out of the bucket. See, I thought it was always three. It used to be. Two weeks is new this year. Okay. So I'm not wrong. No. Well, I am wrong this year, but. Two weeks is new this year. So the first two weeks of the season, they draw a chip out of the bucket. Um, That gives them their starting position for their heat race. Yep. Um, Heat races go heads up, or the feature goes heads up off their heat race finish. So basically, you win feature, you win heat race one, you start, you start on the pin. Yep. Okay. You win heat race two, you start second. Yep. You, and, and so on and so forth. Yep. Um, after the two weeks, um, we accumulate their handicap points, which is in essence the same as the regular points. You win a race, you get 50 points. You finish second, you get 48 and so on. Yep. Two on later. down. Yep. Yes. Um, if you don't show up for a week, um, you take the week off you get 75 handicap points. Is that new this year? The number is new this year. Okay. Um, it used to be you got hit with 50 points. 50, which was basically like you had won. Yes. But now there's more of a penalty yes. for not showing up. So yes. you get 75. Okay. Yes. Um, if for some reason you're lucky enough to be disqualified in tech, you get 100 handicap points. Which kills you. Yes. For a couple, <laughs> for a couple of weeks. For two weeks. Yes, for two weeks. Um, so then you... You just add together their handicap point total yep. for two weeks. Um, low number goes starts on top up front to start up front. Your high numbers start in the back. Um, it's not a foolproof system. It it does not work in the six shooter class. Right, there's six guys that show up every week and right. three or four others that come in every other week. So the handicapping doesn't necessarily work there in the pure stocks works pisser it that's what it was made for yep full field of cars more than full field of cars um it's a great thing in the pure stocks. so now like this week where we did not have enough guys and gals in that pure stock race to send home you still have qualified cars though correct yeah, we had last week we had 23, so everybody raced. So, right. So, you have 23, but do you guys still take a certain amount out of the heat race that get their points, or does everybody just get their handicap points at that point? If there's... You, you only get your handicap points based on the feature. Okay. So, if there's eight cars in the heat race, everybody's handicap counts. So, like, I guess what I'm asking is so, like, I know there's sometimes where they, like, okay, you're racing with 10 guys, five cars qualify. That's a matrix that we have okay. based on how many cars. It tells you if you have X amount of cars in this range, you're going to run two heat races. If you have this many cars, you're going to run three heat races. If you run two heat races, you're going to take five out of each heat. If you run three heat races, you'll take four out of each heat. But, like, if there's not enough guys to send home, everybody's handicap counts. You're still going to take, say, five cars out of a heat and make them your qualified cars. So they start ahead of so everybody that didn't qualify. Ahead of okay. The guys that finished in the back of the heat. Okay. So that's what I guess I was trying to. So let's just throw So 30, well, we'll call it 24 cars show up next week for the pure stocks. You do whatever, eight, eight cars per heat race, top four qualify. Let's say Dylan finishes six. Technically, his handicap won't count, and he'll start behind all the guys that do qualify, correct? Yes. That's the way I'm reading that? Yep. And then all the cars that are not qualified, they just start straight up? They start straight up off their handicap. So they, they just get re-handicapped towards the – so, man, if, like – if there's like eight cars and you qualify five and Dilly finishes six, he's literally going to start shotgun on the field. Uh, just about. Just about. Well, again, if, yep. unless somebody's gotten DQ'd or whatever. So, yep. or like even Nick Hool, JD Stockwell, those guys that finish up front weekly would start way back in the field. Yep. Okay. And then again, obviously, you've got your weeks that there's concies and all that fun stuff. So that's 
entirely different. We'll <laughs> two two Contes and a B feature at the beginning of the year. That was something. I was gonna say, how does that handicap? And is that does that just suck? That, yeah. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> then you've got a you've got a handicap your qualified cars, then you handicap your other cars, and I didn't. Did he take somebody out of the B feature that first week, or no? He didn't take it. No, he did not take anybody out of the B feature. Yeah. So I guess it's not. So when you have two consies, do you handicap the first consie and then you handicap the second consie, or do you take the four and handicap them all together? We, when we had the two consies, we took their heat race finishes. Yep. Um, say we took. Oh yeah, because it's cars. week one, so there's no handicap system yet. Yeah. <laughs> so if you finish seventh in the first heat, you start a pole in the first consie. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. That sounds like a pain in the ass. It was, wasn't it? It wasn't <laughs> yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, it was a pain. You can admit it here. It's fine. I don't think Parksy listens to us anyways. It was a pain in the ass. I made him help me. So I was going to say, that seems like, I mean, it, it's great for the racetrack because I don't think people on the outside of the fence realize how much work there actually is on the inside of the fence from officials, from scorers, from the handicapping there, tower. There's a lot going on um, in the handicap tower between... 6.30 in quarter of eight. Yep. Um, getting the heat lineups all done, getting them posted, getting everybody lined up, them running their heats, getting the finishes back, getting the feature lineups done. Handicapping everybody. Getting them all posted, making sure everybody's still lining up while you're doing it. We're, we're crazy for about an hour and a half before things settle down a little bit. And then you can kind of watch races in between people coming up and asking questions and... Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Huh. And then you're getting the feature results in. And, and then people come up and they want to argue with you because they think you made the final call. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's done that yet. And then, <laughs> and then people start bringing up the rule book. And while well, the rule says this, Heather, I'm not the one that enforces it. Go talk to somebody else. So uh, my question is, is there a job at this racetrack or really any short track that you haven't done that you want to do? Um, I think about the only thing I have not done here um, is cook burgers and clean the toilet. Oh, that doesn't sound like any fun. So. No, no. Have you announced a race? I have not announced a live race, but I have done on-track interviews. So what you're saying is we need to drag you up to the, the booth one night. No. <laughs> no, what do you, no. What do you mean, no? no. When, when we were doing, um, as we call them, Sunday fun days. Yeah. Um, I would score and the race would get over and I'd grab the cordless mic and head on down, head down to the racetrack, do the on-track interviews, head back up, score the next feature. Jesus. Again. And again, people probably don't know this, but you also, you build the trophies. We do build the trophies. Yeah, you and Jimmy and Kyle, of course, cause he yep. works for you guys and yep. you guys build the trophies. You decal race cars. Yep. You have a husband, a son, a brother-in-law, and possibly pretty soon, maybe some nieces and nephews that are going <laughs> to be racing. Yes. You work in a handicapper tower. Yes. Like your guys' life. It's crazy. It's 24-7 race cars. It's a lot of it, yeah. And again, this is not going to air until Tuesday, obviously. But here we are on Thursday night, and I'm pretty sure I know what we're both going to go home and do. Oh, I'm going home to watch Ryan Priest at Thunder Road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're both going to go home and watch racing tonight. Obviously, I'm going to work the racetrack this weekend, but will you guys go down to Lee tomorrow night? 
No. Or are you guys going to take a Friday night just to do I, nothing? I think we're going to take a Friday night and probably do nothing. That's boring. They, they, <laughs> they don't come around that often. That's boring. So, yeah. What do you, that off? You just had one last Friday night or a week and a half ago now, I guess, with the rain. Planned in advance ones don't happen <laughs> that often. <laughs> All right. So, so, fun, fun fact for you. Okay. I flagged too. When was this? During your Sunday fun days? Um, no, it was the year that we were working with Dennis that we ran the full season. Yeah. Um, being a girl, I thought it'd be really fun to bring back, um, the women's races. Yeah. Powder puffs. Yeah. So we did the powder puffs in the four cylinder races. Um, and what makes more sense than a girl flag man for a powder puff race? We need to talk to parks. I think some powder puff races would be cool. I think they would be. We have girls that do it with the guys. Yeah. Go out there and kick their asses. It is true. But yeah, a powder puff would, would be cool. And I got I'm going to pick on somebody real quick. I got to pick on Amy Jaycox for a minute. Okay. When she got out of that car <laughs> and then when she won that B feature that night, like, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying like I'm the tallest dude in the world. I'm, I'm five, seven on a good day. De- she's, she's little. Depending on what sneakers I'm wearing. But like, I don't know, you just, again, she's got a couple of kids that run around and it's a whole family affair. And I guess I never really paid attention to her pit area, but like she popped out of the car and I was kind of figuring like my mom's height, like Kim's height, your height, like five, one, five, two. And she pops out of there and I couldn't see her over the car. She's four foot 11, I think on a good day. Wow. She's like the, like, and again, she can, she's, they're starting to figure out that race car and they're doing a lot better towards, you know, the midpoint of the year. Cause I think she'll be the first one to admit she struggled for a good bit there at the beginning of the year. And again, it is what it is, but man, like I said, she scared that. I shouldn't say she scared me, but it startled me when I couldn't see, see her over the roof. Yeah. It, it's fun to see how little the girls are. Brianna's just a little girl and she goes out there and holds her own in her I, sock. I, again, I think I've told this story before, but that night that. Tim and those guys were working on balancing the weight in the race car and and they were getting ready to roll the car off the trailer and he's like hey Deej can you walk next to that you're kind of skinny and I'm like well I'll just, I'll just pop down in the seat and I can steer it for you guys and he's like you're not going to no. do that no. so I'm thinking like it's some superstition thing like only Bree gets in the car like whatever I'm cool with that or only family I'm like okay kind of looked at him and he goes look at the seat dude yeah it's just little yeah no I'm not squeezing into that so I get it yeah. It's great to see the girls out there holding their own so well. Yeah. Um, Amy's car is coming into it. Rihanna's car. They're they're finally running up there. I was going to say, they're finally, I think, figuring out the Camaro. That's That was a big jump for them, I think. Andrea is doing a phenomenal job. She finished fourth last week. She did a great job last week. Um, Haley's getting it figured out in her car. And And again, so a shout out to Andrea St. Amore. Yes. Again, so we'll talk about it. Opening day of practice. On her roof. On the roof in turn one. And then, was she, she won a B feature, I think, too. I think she did. She won one of the B features. So, again, you go from on your roof to winning a B feature because you can't even make the show yep. to, again, you had 23 cars here last Friday night. Or, again, when this airs a week and a half ago. She ran third most of the night. She ran third most of the night. And your boy had a hell of a time getting around her. He did. She had a line going on that was He like just could perfect. not get around her. Like, nope. couldn't stick the nose underneath her. Couldn't quite keep the momentum on the top side. And I don't think they ever touched. But, man, she nope. made him earn every ounce of that racetrack. She did. She did. <laughs> and good for her. To and it was great now. to see. I mean, as, as much as we're close with Dilly and I want to see him win and everything else, like, 
it was cool to just see him, and I'm not saying struggle, but he struggled for a good four or five laps to get around her. He did, and I mean, he's mine. I obviously, I love to see him run well, but I cannot wait for the week to come that that little J.D. Stockwell goes out there and greases his Oh, ass. my God. I cannot wait for it. I will be the first one standing there cheering. So I'll be the first one to admit that I shut the, I, the my Speed 51 there a few weeks ago, froze with four laps to go. Yeah. How'd that treat you? Yeah, I shut it off. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to sit here and around to this all night. So I just shut it off with four to go because I thought J.D. was going to end up fifth, fourth, wherever he was running. Then next morning I get up and I'm like, what the hell, man? I, I was sitting straight up on the couch cheering like I was sitting I, down there. I bet you were. And my thing is, J.D. and Sean, when you guys, is there something against me? Like I, I heard his interview was just a chatterbox and he was going all the town. When I interview him, when he finished third that night, he's just like, yep, yep, okay. Yep, like man, I don't know. Uh, again, five seven one seventy on a good day, and I, I I didn't think I was that intimidating. He's almost as big as you are now, so. and he's fourteen. Yep. Yeah, he's gonna go by me in a hurry. Like in three years, when we're still doing all this stuff, and he's towering over me, I'm gonna be like, oh, that's cool. Well, again, you're freaking kid. Yeah, he towers over us. I was gonna say. Yeah. I think I've brought this up on the podcast too before, but I remember that kid that played in the dirt. That's that's what I remember Dilly as, yes. not the boy who goes out and greases them. I remember the boy that had the matchbox cars in the back of Jimmy's trailer and everything else. And it's like, dude, where, where did where did this come from? Where did where did all that height in it? Well, I know where the height came from, but it's like that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. Which again, I'm sure you guys feel about me and Erica and everybody <laughs> else you guys watch grow up, but I get it. All right, we'll take one more commercial break. We understand that buying or selling a home is a huge stress. At SK Services, customer satisfaction is our number one priority. If you're purchasing a new home or listing your current home on the market, we are here to help you. From testing services to full inspections, our services are custom tailored to meet your specific needs. SK Services has you covered from the roof to the road and everything in between. Contact Scott at SK Services today at 603 558 5140 or visit him on the web at skhomeinspections.com. So no interest behind getting back behind the wheel. Nobody needs that. No interest in being the announcer with me. No. <laughs> no. So we're just going to stick with handicapping for now. And apparently, eventually, sometime in the near future, fielding a fleet of race cars. Yes. Handicapping was my dream job. Was it? Yes. I, I love being able to see all the drivers. Like, it, there's, there's some characters out there. There are some characters out there. They're... And it takes every single one of them. It does. (laughs) There's a great bunch of guys that come and race here. And I love getting to see them all because when I see them, they're still in a good mood. Usually. Um, You you get them by the end of the night. You get a couple of them. I normally get them early enough that they're still in a good mood (laughs) because they haven't hit the racetrack yet. Yeah. Um, You know, they stop and they chat and, you know, and then seven o'clock rolls around and I hate them all. That is true. That, That I'd agree with you there. So we'll talk about one of those drivers. So again, first year announcing for me, first time I've really ever done this, having a blast with it. So we got a gentleman in the six shooters that has a nickname. Mr. Chooch. Mr. Chooch. So why do they call him Chooch? Um, He explained it to me last year. It's because of his love for trains. Okay. So they call him Chooch. So yeah, he's got train tattoo on his arm. And they call him from the time he was little, they called him Chooch. And I'm, I'm not going to say he's a rough looking dude, but he's rugged. I mean, he looks looks like a rugged dude. Yeah. yeah. Right? 
So I announced the first couple weeks, and I called him Cooch Snide because of the way I read it off the sheet. <laughs> My bad, Chooch. If you listen to this, I will apologize. I have fixed it since then. But just the characters, again, that people don't get to necessarily see. And I'm not... I don't want to bash anybody because it's not me trying to bash anybody. But again, everybody knows what David Green's looks like because he's up on the podium. Joe Tatro has been up there quite a few times this year and in the past had been up there a lot. People are starting to figure out Dylan and Nick Cool and again, Joey Jarvis. But it's the guys like a Chooch Schneid or again, Scott Wade. Scott Wade's an absolute sweetheart of a guy. I think in all honesty would let yeah. somebody borrow his car if theirs broke down for points just because he loves racing that much. There's just some guys and gals in the pit area that I don't think people get to appreciate. No. Because they may not necessarily be the ones finishing top three every week. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you get to know them and know their personalities, and some of them are so much fun. And again, if you, if you come through the pit area on a Friday night and you look around, I think Pete touched on this last week, is the amount of families that actually show up to the racetrack now as like complete families, wives, girlfriends, kids, aunts, uncles, and just pile into the racetrack. Yes. And again, I know you guys did it because that's what there was to do on a Friday night. But I think for like a 10 year stretch there, it really kind of went away. It was basically pit crews, drivers, and that's the way it kind of was. And now you look over and you see, like I said, husbands, wives, you got all the kids with you and and yeah and it's it's cool to see i think that's probably one of the cooler parts and again i had a blast with that and bring up that enduro again watching everybody kind of just look and ooh and ah of the wing and this car and that car and it's i think part of that's missing and i'll be the first one to admit i enjoyed the old pepsi days where we get to ride on the wagon around the racetrack and i i think the whole as a driver, I always thought the on-track party sucked because something had broken just before, so you're trying to thrash, and then you have to go down on the racetrack. As the announcer and the father side of me... It, it's cool to be able to take kids <laughs> down there. To, they can touch the cars. They can see the cars. They can... I, I can remember being a kid. They used to do kiddie rides yeah. in the cars. So... I'm old enough. I went for a kiddie ride with Brusso. With Mike. Yes. Yes. But as like a 19-year-old. <laughs> you weren't a kitty then. <laughs> and his whole whole point in the three laps was to see how bad he could scare me. Yeah. yeah. I I can still, I think I probably eight or nine is probably around the time of when they stopped doing them. I think maybe it wasn't 19. I think Anthony went with me because your Aunt Lori wanted to send the kids. Yeah, so me, probably... So yeah, it probably would have been around that same, I was seven, eight, nine, whatever it was, and same thing, yeah. Brusa would be like, that's hot, that's hot, don't yeah. touch that, hold on to here, and I'm going to give you a hell ride for two yeah. laps. Yeah, I will make you scream. Yeah, and he did. Yes. Yeah, every time. And, and again, I, I understand with insurances, and it's way different now than what it was, but actually Andrew posted on Instagram and on Facebook today his nephew in the yes. race car, which, again, kind of reminded me of, you hate this of his dad like just yep. the old times of what we used to be able to get away with here that we definitely cannot get away with now we, um back when dylan was 10 we, we did a little family photo shoot of him and all of his race cars yeah um and got permission afterwards for my brother to take him for some laps in yep. his street stock um the smile 
on both of their faces when they pulled up pit road because Brian had no mercy on him. He yeah. told him to hang on. Hang on. Cause he took him for a ride. Yep. The kid's eyes were huge <laughs> and his smile was even bigger when they pulled up pit road. Which again, people can't, I guess if you've never done it or had a kid or somebody, you know, done it, you can't appreciate it. But you watch like when Harvick won last year and he brought Keelan with him or Kyle Busch brought uh, Brexton with him. Those are things that those kids will probably never forget. But the dads also, like you just said, I'm sure Brian was probably giggling and smiling from ear to ear for probably a good 30 minutes after that, just because it's something you don't get to do a lot. And it's pretty neat. Like I said, I, I... I would love to see the whole bandwagon ride and all that other stuff that we used to do, but I know it's yeah, that's long gone. It's a, it's a lot. It's a good memory, but it was it was cool. It was and again, if it tells you how much we all remember of it, we all remember it as Pepsi night because it always seemed to be the Pepsi truck that was wide open and it, it was. And you always when you went down on the wall, you tried to line up to make sure that when you had to get on the Pepsi truck, it was your favorite driver that was helping you, not yep. not one of the drivers that you didn't like. Exactly. You didn't want to do that. Yeah, because there was always like what four or five of them that would always get on there and yep. try to get you on, and because yes. they'd pull up right next to the wall. Yep. And you had that like two foot gap. Yep. They'd help you get up on the truck to make sure nobody fell. I like, forgot that part. See, I forgot there. that part. And then they'd ride with you. Yeah. I mean, how cool are you when you're like twelve years old and you're riding on the Pepsi truck with Mountain Man? Yeah, so I can still remember as a kid, the Valley Building Supply used to sponsor championship night every single year. Yes. So Bill Blewett used to head the one here in Claremont. So he got to be the pace truck for the night. So me, my sister, Cam Blewett, Anthony, there was like six of us in the back of the car. And I can still remember this clear as day. The pro stocks, late models, whatever they were at the time, were here. Russ Hersey started on the pole that night. And Russ sat there and just revved up the car and tried to hit the rear bumper. I know it wasn't really going to hit it, but as like a 10-year-old. But it was fun. Yeah, I thought he was coming through the back of that truck. He went out, won the race, and we all got to go back down to take a picture with Russ in Victory Lane for part of the LaValle Building Supply Championship night. And I talked to Russ on a professional level because of his job now and what he does. But I can still, again, remember clear as day as a kid, him being like, it's overheating a little bit, guys. Come down this way. Don't touch here. Don't do this. Got down, smiled, took the picture. And again, 20 years later, can still remember it like it was yesterday. Like I said, I understand times are a lot different than they were back then. But I think some of the racetrack's missing just a little bit of that. So I think we've got one more segment left for you. I think I'm ready for it. All right. Come out of four side-by-side to take the checker flag. Oh, my God. Can you believe the move that guy just pulled? What a bonehead. It's the Zulu Fabrication Bonehead Move of the Week. So no racing this week. Lee's racing, but I'm not going to be able to get down there. So I've got nobody to give the bonehead move to. So your husband got to do his own bonehead move last week. So now you told me before we even started, you had one. What do you got? I have my own bonehead move. Uncle Steve's got nothing on me. (laughs) My first race in the mini stock, I was lap traffic. Yep. And I will own it. Towards the end of the race, coming down the back stretch, here come the leaders again to go around me. Again, so like a second Again, time. It's probably second or third. Okay. Um, and for whatever reason, I got rattled that time. And I still feel bad for that guy that was winning in that Pinto because I took him right out. 
<laughs> so you took out the leader as, a, sure as a right before the end of the race. Oh, first race, I hung my head in shame at the drivers' meeting the following week because they they were not saying my name, but they were talking about me. Which again, anybody that sat through a drivers' meeting, we all pretty much know yeah. when they bring up specific stuff. Yeah, and it was you. It was me. So you got you probably had a whole portion of a drivers' meeting. I, I think I for did. your bonehead move. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. It wiped him right out. That's awesome. Yeah. It's funny 20 years later. Yeah. Well, it's funny a couple weeks later. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just uh, 20 years later. <laughs> I mean, I, I did feel bad, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So again, so racer, enduro racer, wife and mother for a while, yes. scorer, yes. handicapper, on track announcer again you and you do a lot more again the trophies everything else that you guys you between you jimmy and whoever else that help up here there's a lot it, it's a couple of nights a week i don't think people realize that yeah that it's not we i you say we because you know i roll in on friday night look good and announce and i just go home but there's <laughs> sending sending all the the results into nascar there's doing the handicapping points there's doing the regular points there's coming back on wednesday nights for practice selling tires and gas and building trophies building trophies lettering trophies charging transponders charging transponders yes. <laughs> the big yes the big hoopla there for quite a few weeks in a row yes i have 10, 10 transponders sitting at home on the counter all charged yeah eight of which are the racetracks right and two are yours or 10 yeah. are the racetracks so you ten, got 12 10 are the racetracks two are ours yeah so you got 12 on the counter yes so again i don't think people can understand or appreciate that and i'm not trying to boast you and jimmy up because we're friends and everything else but I don't think the racetrack runs as smoothly as what it does without the two of you guys there, here. There's a lot to it that people don't see. There's, there's a lot of phone calls and text messages with Mike all week long. Yeah. They start Saturday morning and they go. Right, they start Friday night before you guys get home. Don't lie to us. <laughs> no, no, they don't. They start <laughs> Saturday morning and they go up to Friday afternoon. Yep. And again, like I said, it's not just we all get to roll into town on Friday night and just go have fun. It's yeah. and It's a... It's got to be damn close to a full-time job. It definitely is for him. <laughs> it, and it, it's a really good part-time gig for me. I was going to say, it's got to be a solid part-time gig it, between the trophies and everything else you yeah. guys do. So It is a solid part-time job. So I will say thank you because, again, I know how smooth things run and everything else and whatnot, but I appreciate you coming on and Not a problem. chatting with me for a little while. Did you know radon is a cancer-causing radioactive gas? And radon is one of the leading causes of lung cancer. But you cannot see it, smell it, or taste it. The EPA recommends testing if you're getting ready to buy or sell a home. At Radon Be Gone, we're more than just a mitigation company. We also offer water quality products and servicing. Whether it's iron, bacteria, or arsenic, we can offer a solution for you. We work with licensed plumbers and designers to make sure you get the right filtration systems tailored to your needs. Radon Be Gone, servicing New Hampshire and Vermont. Call us today at 603-558-5761 for any of your water quality issues. We'd like to take a moment and thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Turn 4 Podcast. Have a question, comment, or query? We would love to hear from you. Reach out to us today at our Facebook page, Turn 4 Podcast. And until next week, we'll see you at the racetrack.